Good morning, all. I read from Acts 1, Acts 2, verse 1 to 4. Pam na go yemi de debio, ane act de yubo, sebebe mai, or bere mu inila. Pentecost alali, ene mela teso, fremenja pome, ba mene borangabo, legi, boribubu, crofero, mene sobio, crobo, Many bio me bin. And a crawfare me many crawker in Ojubo swa. Odugaman chap men by many. Am I big big ke equin? An angabwe me apple. Many oruborubo in a mabe Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Họ rất ngạc nhiên và hỏi nhau, tất cả những người đang nói đó không phải là người cả lý lây sao? Vậy sao mọi người chúng ta đều nghe họ nói tiếng bản xứ của mình? Acts 2, 9-13 Partos, Medos, Elamitas y los que habitamos en Mesopotamia, en Judea, en Cappadocia, en el Ponto y en Asia, en Frigia y Panfilia, en Egipto y en las regiones de África más allá de Sirene, y romanos aquí residentes, tanto judíos como proselitos, cretenses y árabes. Les oímos hablar en nuestras lenguas las maravillas de Dios, y estaban todos atónitos y perplejos, diciéndose unos a otros, ¿qué quiere decir esto? Mas otros, burlándose, decían, están llenos de mosto. Oh, in Portuguese. No, just kidding. In English. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, 
What does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Would y'all pray with me? God, we are grateful for your word. God, I am grateful for the opportunity to um, preach your word. God, um, this is something that um, I don't take lightly. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak through me this morning? Would you um, remove things from my manuscript that I maybe wanted to say that you don't need me to say? Uh, would, you, uh, would you change uh, the manuscript, um, God, if, if there's something that I'm missing that I need to speak? I want to submit myself to you because um, I have no power up here on my own without you. None of us do as believers, and I hope that we'll be able to see that this morning in your word. We're grateful that you came in this way in Acts 2 um, that we're going to talk about this morning. We love you, and we're grateful for our time together. In your name we pray. Amen. So thank you, Gloria and Nate and Dora, for coming up and reading. This is a hard thing to do, to stand up here in front of the lights and looking at everybody, looking at you, and to speak and read the word of God, which is probably the most important thing that can happen on this stage at all today. And so thank you guys for being willing for stepping into the uncomfortable and being able to do that. If anybody ever presents from the stage as a speaker or as a musician, tells you that this gets easier over time, they're lying. you should not trust them. Um, this is nerve-wracking, and so I'm, I'm grateful for you guys jumping into the awkward and reading the word for us this morning. And the reason why we do that, the reason why we, we take a moment and we read in different languages is it's just a really beautiful representation of the diversity of the kingdom of God. And particularly why the Spirit comes and how he comes in Acts 2, we'll see today, is to bring all people together and for the gospel to advance. And so um, that's what we're hoping to get into this morning. Before we get there, though, I, you've, you've heard it said from this stage that the Grove is a high-commitment church, maybe. We've said that on a number of occasions. So I'm going to ask you to participate this morning. All right? So I want you to do this for me. Clear your throat. <clears> throat> Thank you. I was not expecting you to do it on the first try. I was going to have to do it again. Thank you for doing that. So I'm going to ask you to participate, okay? I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and I want you to talk back to me. Got it? All right. Thank you. This is good practice. Adam? All right. So tell me what comes to mind when I mention God as Father. What aspects of his person or of his character as Father come to your mind when I say that? A hug, love, leadership, provider, authority, father. Is that what you said? Good. It's the word we used. It's my kid. It's great. Okay, now, if I were to ask you to do the same thing when I mention the word Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, as, as Lord and Savior, what come to mind when I ask you to think of his aspects and character of Jesus, that person of the Trinity? Son, provider, forgiveness, sacrifice, holy, caring, obedient, healer, yeah, amen, selfless, meek and lowly, great. Now, I'm gonna ask you the same thing about the Holy Spirit. When I ask you about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, what comes to your mind about his, the aspects of his character and his nature when I say Holy Spirit? Power, helper, comforter. What was the one back there? Present? Present? 
heart, inspirational, speaking in tongues, mortification, good. Okay, you guys totally blew my illustration out of the water. I was hoping you would be like silent and go, I don't know what to say. So I'm glad for that. This is great. My, the reason I asked that question is because in my own preparation, we talked about this at staff meeting on Monday, but in my own preparation, when my mind thinks about the Holy Spirit, there's a little bit more hesitation in me to go, what, what does he do? How, how does that impact me as a believer? I know he indwells me. I know some of the basic things, but then what does that mean? And so I had some hesitation in me, and so I just assumed there's probably some hesitation in us. And if there's not in this room, praise God for that, right? But the world that we are in and the people that we are among don't always have a clear understanding of who God is as Father, as Son, and as Spirit. And today, since we're in Acts 2, we're going to be focusing on the Spirit, not just today, but this kicks off our summer series that's coming up that we're calling Empowered, where we're going to go through all different aspects of the, the Spirit and how He moves, that He's generous, He's the Spirit of life, and all these different things. And so those are coming for you this summer, and so look forward to that. But I'm, sometimes I sense that there's some hesitation in us to find the answer for who the Spirit is or what He might do. And I think for me, that may just be because there's a lack of understanding on my own part, um, that, or I'm hesitant to maybe answer that question when asked because I don't want to appear as if, like, if I have the wrong answer, then I lack knowledge. And so there's some self-preservation maybe in me, if I'm the only one here in the room, to answer that question uh, sometimes. This is also why we're going to spend the summer going through this series is because we're, we're focusing on deepening our understanding of who the person this person of the Trinity is, who the Spirit is, his role, and the impact that he has in our lives as believers. And so as we jump in, I think it's important for us to spend a couple minutes um, just kind of going back and let's see the Spirit over um, the Old Testament, New Testament, just kind of give some background as to who this person of the Trinity is and that he's not this new member of the Trinity that just shows up in Acts 2. And so if you'll think back with me to Genesis in chapter 1, the very beginning, verse 2, that the Spirit was present at creation and was hovering over the waters. He helped bring the chaos and the void and the darkness into light and into order and into newness, right? And not only in Genesis uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, but we also see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And this language with the us and our helps us to understand and believe that there's unity within the body uh, or within the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And they are together in creation, creating us and creating creation in their image, and us in his likeness. And so the language here leads us to understand that there's unity and diversity in God, that he's eternally existing in three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and that he's always been present and been working from the beginning of time. But we also see throughout the Old Testament, these are some names that I, or, or names that I didn't remember that I had to look up this week, but one of those um, is Bezalel. We see in Exodus chapter 31 that he was filled with the Spirit of God so that he would develop and execute an artistic design for the tabernacle. And so the Spirit was on him. 
We also see in in Numbers chapter 11, the 70 elders receive some of the spirit that was on Moses, which is really interesting. If you haven't read that, go back and read that, that God takes some of the spirit from Moses and gives it to these 70 elders. Kind of a cool picture there. We also see Gideon in Judges chapter six. He's able to deliver Israel because the spirit of the Lord had come upon him as well as some different judges throughout the book of Judges in chapter three and chapter 11, Othniel and Jephthah, the spirit of the Lord was on them as well. Samson was able to perform his feats of strength when the spirit of the Lord had come upon him in the book of Judges. And then of course we see in the prophets in the Old Testament um, that the spirit of God was upon them to proclaim the word and to prophesy what was to come. But the Old Testament isn't the only place that we see the Spirit show up and we see the Spirit working and moving. Right before Jesus comes, we also see that the Spirit is on Mary, Jesus' mother. In Luke chapter 1, 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the angel told her, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, the Spirit was on her in Luke as well. On John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, and Luke as well. On John the Baptist himself, He he was filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. We see that in Luke. And then Simeon. And then obviously we see it in Jesus, right? The most pointed picture that I can think of is when the Spirit fills Jesus and then leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan. Okay, so I give you this background and this big picture to show us that this is not something new necessarily, that the Spirit isn't new in Acts 2, but he's now moving in a very different way. And so as we go through this morning, that's kind of what I hope for us to see is that we can see these examples of the Spirit moving and working from the very beginning of creation. He's not a new character in Acts 2. He comes at Pentecost in a very pivotal and specific way for the apostles and also in a way that impacts you and I as believers today. So this morning, we're going to look at three specific things that the Spirit of power does when he comes at Pentecost. And so the first of those is that the Spirit institutes the law on our hearts. So a little bit of background about this day of Pentecost, right? The day of Pentecost, we saw in Acts 2, it said that people were gathering from all these different nations, devout men of, of, that were in Jerusalem, right? This day of Pentecost, the, the word penta in the Greek literally means the, the 50th day or the 50, okay? This is a day that they would have come together and celebrated um, the Feast of the First Fruits, the 50th day after the Passover. This is also the same day that Moses and the children of Israel wound up at Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments, the law, um, from God and the burning bush. And so I think it's important for us to realize that while everyone is gathered here to celebrate the giving of the written law, this law that they had received at Mount Sinai, that was part of this celebration, they had received this written law on stone tablets, that God now is about to make a distinction here between the old law that was written that didn't have the power to penetrate the heart and then the law of the Spirit that God would put in the heart now of those who believe. In fact, we even see it prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. And Ezekiel says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes 
and be careful to obey my rules. So God knew that it would be impossible for his people to accomplish keeping his law perfectly. My voice has been going out and squeaking. I just heard it break and I'm like, God knew that it would be impossible for his people to accomplish keeping his law perfectly. He knew that his people whom he loved so deeply would never be able to enter into communion with him by physically just keeping this written law that they had received so long ago. He knew, and so he had a plan, and we know now in the fullness of time since the word has come that that plan was Jesus. Jesus was the plan from the beginning to fulfill this law perfectly, and thus, because he fulfilled it perfectly, he's become the only permissible option for taking the punishment that we deserved for our sin on the cross. His sacrifice on our behalf has made it possible for God's people to have access to the help that we need now to obey what he's called us to obey. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He's telling the disciples this right before he goes. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Later on, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul makes a distinction that the written law was dead, and so are the hearts of man because of this. And I've gone back and forth all week long. I've changed the sermon, I don't know how many times, about reading 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And um, it's a little long, but I'm going to read it. So hang tight, open your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 3. Verse 3, verse 3, verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. It should come up on the screen behind me as well. And Paul writes this, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Notice the language, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, now that we are sufficient, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Notice the language again, not of the letter, he's talking about the, the old law there, but of the spirit, for the letter kills and the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death talking about the law again, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed its glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, Because of the glory that surpasses it, talking about the Spirit. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent, notice the language, what is permanent, have glory. We'll talk about that in a minute. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil uh, over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, When they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted 
because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Praise God for that. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. So I appreciate you hanging in there, reading all that with me. I think it's beautiful and it's important. It just gives us a picture of what we're talking about here with the old law going away and the Spirit now putting the new law in us and on our hearts. The law of God given to Moses and the children of Israel at Mount Sinai was written law. It couldn't go any further than the tablets that it had been engraved on, and it could not enter the heart, as I said before. The fact that the Spirit now indwells the believer really makes all the difference for us to now go out on mission. And so that's our second point for this morning, is that something the Spirit does is that he indwells the believer. So let's take a look at this again in Acts chapter 2. If you have to flip back there, flip back. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I also think it's important to note there that this word for tongues here in this passage is speaking about a literal language, Okay. And so when we look at the tabernacle in the Old Testament where God's presence was found, we read about a place being so holy that only priests could enter and meet with God. And if you haven't read the book of Leviticus in a while, go back and read Leviticus 21. It gives you some picture here of what was required of the priests in order to be able to even go in to the Holy of Holies. Um, there's a lot of rules, a lot of specific instructions because the presence and the power of God resided there and it was a holy place that was not to be trampled on or messed with. And so some of the things the priests couldn't do is they couldn't even um, have bald patches in their head. Lance, you're out. Troy, you're out. <laughs> but then as I was reading that and I thought about that joke, I was like, that'd be kind of funny. And then it says, but men also can't trim the sides of their beards. And I was like, darn it. I'm out too, because I trim my beard, okay? I say all this jokingly, but let's think for a moment about the seriousness of, of, of this picture. The holy God of the universe, the creator of all things, ruler over everything, whose glory was so magnificent that as we just read in 2 Corinthians, that Moses' face had to be veiled because it shone so brightly after being in the presence of the Lord. It is that glory that filled the tabernacle. And now in Acts 2, the Spirit of God, this same glory is now filling this room and also indwelling the believer as well. Because Jesus ascended, he did not intend at any point for us to be left alone because this is the posture of his heart towards the people that he loves. He wants to dwell with us. He calls us all throughout scripture to abide in him, right? This is a picture of remaining close. In John 14, verses 16 through 18, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, 
and look at this, and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so this promise is being fulfilled that's been spoken of long ago throughout time, and now it's here. The Spirit has now come. And so now I want to ask this question. If we were to look at our lives as believers, what do our lives show that we truly believe about this power indwelling us? We're to look at our own lives and the things that we value and the things that we prioritize and the things that we put in first place above God. What does that say we value? What does it say we believe about the power that lives inside of us? So now that we've seen the Spirit, that He's instituted the law on our hearts, here in Acts 2, He's begun to dwell, indwell all the believers. It begs the question why is He doing this? Why is he coming in this way? Why is it important for him to put his spirit in you? If you look back just one chapter before in Acts, I think we'll see in verse eight, which we're probably all familiar with. But it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the answer to why God is doing this new thing. Right? The Spirit is not new, but he's giving it to us. This is new. We flip to Acts 2 again in verse 5. We'll get to our third point, that the Spirit invites, he does this new thing because he invites and empowers the believer to advance the gospel. Okay, Verse 5, Acts 2. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, that sound that they heard in the room, the, magnet, uh, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them, hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And so God is something that isn't really clear here, but as you dig into the word a little bit more, what becomes clear is that this picture in the book of Acts is a reverse of, of a curse that had happened in Genesis 11. And we won't turn there, but I'll give you a little description of what that was. And the people had started to build a city and to build a tower to the heavens, and the, and the scriptures tell us that they were doing it to make a name for themselves. And so God comes down, and he, he uh, di disperses them, scatters them out, and he confuses their language. And this caused them to scatter and go, and the city and the tower that they were building went unfinished. We see that in Genesis chapter 11, around verse 7. And so here in Acts 2, now the Spirit has come. He's rested over these these. Uh, these people in the, in the uh, upper room, we think it was in the upper room, in this room that they're in, and he's rested over them, and the picture or the vision that they see is this divine tongue that looks like fire. So just a really interesting tidbit there that's not a part of the, my sermon, but I'll point out to you, is that God's presence and power in the Old Testament was always accompanied um, by wind or breath. The Spirit was accompanied by breath or wind, but God's presence was accompanied by fire. 
We see that in the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that the Israelites were guided through the wilderness by. Um, We see that with the burning bush, God's presence in a bush that was burning and not consumed with the fire. And so now in Acts 2, those are in Genesis 11, those languages had been confused and they had been scattered out. And so now all these devout men from all these other nations who had been scattered are now back in Jerusalem celebrating this, this day of Pentecost and the spirit comes and he gives them the ability to speak in a language that everybody else around was able to hear the gospel now in their own tongue. And so there's this order that's brought back to what was chaotic. This is what the Spirit does. So here in Acts 2, we see that God is reversing this confusion of languages that once thwarted, in Genesis 11, the plans of men. And now God is helping man to understand through the fulfillment of this miraculous promise and through breaking this language barrier that his plan is for his mighty work to be proclaimed in all the earth. The presence of God in the Old Testament was accompanied by fire like we just talked about. But God shows up as a tongue of fire and rests on each of them in this room. And it has always been his plan to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes that had been scattered all over, now because of this celebration of Pentecost, have representatives in Jerusalem that are hearing the gospel in their own language. This is wild. This is crazy, y'all. And based on what we see The eyewitnesses in the scripture think it was kind of crazy too. It says they were bewildered, right, in verse 6. But each one was hearing and speaking his own language. They were amazed and astonished. So just 10 minutes before this happens, the disciples could not have accomplished this sharing of the gospel with all of these gathered nations on their own. But now thanks to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Thanks to him coming, the good news is suddenly available and overflowing to all that are around. What Jesus said would happen in Acts 1-8 is happening. They have now received this power that they heard about. And what do we see them doing with this power? Do they stay in the upper room and think, oh man, this is cool. We got it. Varsity. They don't do that. They stand and they proclaim the good news empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not afraid, we don't see any fear of persecution at this point. Just later on in chapter two, Peter goes out to preach his sermon and 3,000 people at the end of that come to, come to be indwelled by the Spirit and are saved, right? This is what this power does. The indwelling Spirit propels them outward to share the gospel with those around them. So Grove Church, this same Spirit is indwelling us as believers if we believe. And it helps us and has provided us access into this same extraordinary power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in you and I. But if I'm honest, I'm kind of concerned. And I wonder if we're not sinking our own comforts rather than the kingdom of God. Um, I read this quote this week by a book that I had read a long time ago and, and kind of picked back up in the last couple of weeks as I was preparing for this. And it's called Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And he says this in that book. He says, it is true that God may have called you to be exactly where you are. We talk about this all the time, right? Being a missionary into your neighborhoods, into the networks, into the nations that God has placed you in. So look at this. 
It's true that God may have called you to be exactly where you are, but it's absolutely vital to grasp that he didn't call you there so you could settle in, live your life in comfort and in superficial peace. And so I think that's a challenge for me, but that's a challenge for us, I think, as well, is that are we living a life of superficial peace and comfort, trying to control whatever we think we can control? What world are we creating, church, through our apathy, through our laziness, and really through our neglect of this power that lives in us? The last couple of summers here at the Grove, we've sent you out with a challenge for the summer, and it's usually something around inviting or engaging at least one neighbor, somebody around you that you don't know, going and being intentional to get to know them, know their name, pray for their family for the specific purpose of being a missionary, be, being able to present the gospel with the way that you live and the way that you love your spouse and the way that you lead your kids or fail at leading your kids and then model out repentance. This is what we've challenged you to do. And I personally have failed at that. When Lance has challenged us over the years to go and meet people, it's like, oh, I know this neighbor and this neighbor and I'm praying for them, praying for them. And then don't go beyond those. But the Spirit has empowered us to be missionaries where he's placed us. I don't work next to your coworker. We, we don't live next to your neighbor, you do. And so the Spirit has empowered you to be able to go and take the gospel to them. And so are we doing that? So just about every Sunday, we have just about 200 or a little over 200 people in here. And I'm not sure that we've ever had more than a handful of families actually participate in this. Not that I've heard of anyway, and I could be wrong. And this isn't to like shame on us, but kind of like, and we need to, if we believe this is true, then we ought to live differently. It should so affect the way that we minister to those around us that this whole Fort Bend County changes because of people at the Grove Church and them living out of the power of the Spirit. So I'll tell you this for me. It feels much easier to pull in my driveway and jump straight into trying to um, manage the chaos that I know, trying to um, manufacture my own peace. And I think we do this because most of the Christian life feels like it's this battle between living for really good things instead of living for the greater thing. We've talked about this in here before, right? First things and second things. Most of the Christian life feels like it's living for really good things versus living for what's the best thing to be living for. So, as we end this morning, if the Spirit has come to give us power, then the Lord is calling you and I out of retreat and into belief that God is unstoppable. Do we believe that? That he's unstoppable and he's calling us to advance the gospel and he hasn't left you alone. You're not an orphan He's given you his spirit. He's given you the power to do it. So let's not let another summer go by. Let's not let another day or a week go by where we live for our own comfort and peace and we neglect the work of evangelism that we've been called to and we've been given the power for. Let us go and be ministers of the gospel in our neighborhoods and in our networks and in the nations that are around us. Let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, 
I confess this morning just on my own that I've neglected um, resting and remaining in the power that you've supplied. Even as I've prepared for this sermon this week, I've lived with a lot of angst and anxiety and worry. And really that's a result of me not resting in you and the promise that you haven't left me as an orphan. The promise that you've given me the power of your spirit that indwells me to go and to be able to proclaim the good news from a stage in a church. But you've also given me the power to proclaim the good news to those that you've put around me. And so God, I pray for myself that you would help me to be faithful to obey. I pray that I would be able to lead our people in a way that models what this looks like to, to rest and remain and to be empowered by the Spirit. God, I pray for the people that sit here in this room this morning. God, I know that your word goes out and it doesn't return void. And I know that you are working in the hearts and minds of those who sit and listen to your word taught this morning. And so God, I pray that you would use your word or you would have used your word this morning to cut to the heart. We see that later on in Acts 2. When Peter starts to preach, it says that they were, the people that were hearing were cut to the heart with the truth of the word. And they said, what do we do? Was their response. So God, I pray that that's our posture this morning. Let us be cut to the heart. God, let our posture be, what do we do? Not for earning favor with you, but God, what do we do so that we would be obedient? What do we do so that the, the, the areas around us in Fort Bend County might change with the power of the gospel? Oh God, will we be a people wholly submitted and surrendered to you this morning and for the rest of our days as we go on? It's in your holy name, your powerful name, and in your spirit that we pray this morning. Amen.